Genesis chapter 11 today. So hop over there, Genesis chapter 11. We just finished a a really big, uh, monumental sermon last week on the flood and on Noah. Um, Three and a half chapters, that was, from Genesis 6 to Genesis 9 and a half. This is a smaller uh, story. And what we're going to do, we're not going to be able to go through all Genesis verse by verse uh, this month. But we're going to call back. So I want to encourage you, please, please, please read sequentially, read chronologically through the book as we go through it. Uh, So we're not going to look at Genesis uh, 10 today, but Genesis 10 talks about the table of nations. It's actually interesting. If you read Genesis 10 and 11, you might be confused. But what's happening is actually what's called intentional dischronalization, which is it's actually out of order time wise. But 11 actually is supposed to happen before 10. Hebrew narrative, they, they, do, they do things to draw different attention to things, even though we would, we would probably never do that. Consider it like a flashback, I guess, if you would, in the show. Like a little backstory uh, to kind of clarify what the characters are up to. But in Genesis chapter 11 is a pretty famous passage. It's the Tower of Babel. A lot of us are familiar with the Tower of Babel. And we'll be there this morning in Genesis um, chapter 11. But just a little of our, a flashback of our own just to catch you up to speed. Noah survives the flood with eight souls in all with his family. He has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, and sort of a really unique, weird, hard-to-understand passage happens in the book of Genesis where, where Noah uh, gets drunk right after the flood, right after God saves him. And we connected the flood, as Peter does um, uh, in, his, in his book in 1 Peter 3, to baptism today for us, that the flood actually represented baptism. And so you have somebody... Uh, who imagine somebody who's, who's God decided, wow, this person's doing great. They're obedient. They're really off to a great start. They've made a decision to, to really go after this covenant with God that Kim talked about earlier, making Jesus Lord. And what does Satan do? Well, he comes right for us still. I mean, he doesn't back off. You know, oh, he just got baptized. Okay, let me, let me give up on him. But Satan actually, you no, know, keeps coming. And, and the Bible actually, that's all, the way it's always been with man, uh, with mankind, is that even after the flood, what's Noah do? This really horrible, disgusting thing of getting drunk. And uh, his son, uh, Ham, uh, sees him naked. And a lot of us don't understand the point of that passage. We don't get it. And so his other two sons actually kind of walk in backwards with the, um, with the blanket to cover up their father's nakedness. And uh, we don't understand why that's important because today nakedness is everywhere. We, we accept nakedness pretty normally. Uh, it's not offensive to us. But in ancient times, it was extremely offensive. Um, it, was, it was private. It was inappropriate. And so what Ham did is he did not respect his father. So you had the table of nations about the descendants of Ham, the descendants of the other two sons. And here in Babel, we actually get a, a, right before that. And then after this is the last story before we get into the rest of the book of Genesis, which is all about one family. All this, this up to this point, one through 11 is all about the history of the world. 12 and on is about the history of a family, which is actually kind of. Kind of crazy for the author of Genesis. It's kind of ridiculous to say, here's the history of the world. And you know what's even what we're building to is the history of this one family. Um, But that's what we're getting to. So so a little teaser trailer kind of for what's coming up next. But we have this interesting sort of weirdly placed, unique, short story about the Tower of Babel. And without further ado, we'll jump in in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Uh, As people moved eastward... They found a place in Shinar and settled there. That's uh, Sumer or Babylon. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and, tartar, uh, and tar instead of, uh, for mortar. They used bitumen for mortar. 
Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches up to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. <coughs> um, people that are curious about the word earth in Hebrew is adetz, it's, it's land. So we don't know. People go, oh, the fl- flooded the whole, Noah's flood flooded the whole adetz, flooded the whole world. But it could have just flooded the land. Bottom line is we don't know. And here, the, the, by the common tongue, the common speech, don't get bogged down in, oh, how can we relate every speech in the world, every language to one universal language? Uh, probably not. Uh, I happen to believe audits is just sort of a general term for the whole land. But it's not the point of the story. The point of the story is coming up soon. So just so you know, just a little bit of clarification. We will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The Tower of Babel. So what's so bad about Babel? What's happening in this story? This is an, this is an incredible story. One of the things to study out along with the book of Genesis is how histori- historically accurate a lot of it is uh, and how archaeologically accurate a lot of this is. There's a, this is a fascinating story because we get little uh, uh, snippets, we get little details we don't usually get in, he- in Hebrew narrative uh, about, okay, here's this other nation uh, out in Shinar. It's Babylon. If you haven't heard of the Babylonians, they're a big deal. The Babylonians were the heart of the ancient world. They were the center of its power. Uh, in fact, if we zoomed in on Babylon at this time, we might find... Uh, a similar uh, area, a similar state, a similar nation to the United States of America. I mean, it's, it's sort of the leading country. It has influence everywhere. Uh, and it's a, polyistic, there's, it's a polyistic nation, a polyistic competition. So which God is going to do the best? Which God is going to get you furthest? Across the way are the Jews, the Hebrews, who believe in a moralistic, monotheistic, one God, Yahweh. And so here uh, is really cool because the passage says that they use bricks. Why is that important? Uh, it's important because if you go to Israel to this day, there's no bricks. Nothing's made of brick. It's all made of stone. There's stone everywhere in Israel. There's plenty of stone. But if you go across the, to the Tigris and the Euphrates in modern-day Iraq, in Babylon, there's no stone. So they used brick, and they baked brick. And the, the brick was this incredible, new, fascinating technology that this, this, this country could use to build themselves a city. And when you go to this day to, uh, to, to Babylon, they found a ton of these edifices. They found a ton of uh, brick everywhere. And this is actually a rendering of what it looked like uh, back then, uh, Babylon. I mean, it was, it was a great city uh, here, uh, the capital Sumer of Babylon. And they actually found a ton of these different uh, buildings called ziggurats. Ziggurats are basically stepped, uh, te- stepped temples. And they found a huge one, and it's called, I, gotta, I had to write it down because it's in a Babylonian tongue, of which I'm not familiar, uh, but it's Etemin Anki. And this thing was massive. This was the ziggurat of ziggurats. This was a big building. And they've actually found the giant, uh, uh, you know, indentation in the ground, the big square, the big rectangle, if you will, of where it would have been. Uh, and they found ziggurats aplenty, I mean, uh, everywhere in, in Babylon to this day. And this is a guy here. He's walking up one right now uh, as we speak. He's there doing that. 
Um, and he's walking up a ziggurat. This is, and see, look at that. It's brick, right? Brick was, and so this is a cool moment where we go, wow, Genesis 11, the fact that it says they used brick, I mean, that was, that was true for Babylon. Everything was built of brick. That was their cool new technology. And they look like this. It's a ziggurat. It's a, sto- kind of a, sto- it's a bricked temple. And Babylon in Babylonian tongue means the gate of God. And so all these ziggurats, all these towers, the whole goal was, hey, look, we're going to go to God. We're going to go up there. We're going to be, we're going to go to the gate of heaven. We're going to go kind of be who we are. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And so this is what we're dealing with here uh, with Babylon uh, and what we're talking about. And so, but what's the problem? I don't really get it. What's so wrong about this? When I first read this, I thought, it just seems like God's sort of like, you're going to come up here. No, you're not, you know, and just like <laughs> kicks their, their tower over like we're two and goes, <laughs> you know, and we're like, oh man, we got to start over. But God's like, no, you can't because you can't understand each other. We're like, oh, oh man, now I speak Polynesian. I better move to Indonesia. And so I moved to Indonesia. You know, is that what happened here in the Tower of Babel? Is God just up there kicking down towers, right? Just kicking like we're trying to build up to him. That's what I felt when I read this. Uh, in my own, you know, sort of natural Drew self. And as I read, it's interesting to understand the deeper point of what's going on here. And like anything in the Bible, we got to really seek to understand what it would have meant to the original audience, what, the, what, the, what this means, not just to us, but what it meant to them. Yeah. Any of us that goes to Paris to this day, we wouldn't get off the flight and maybe just walk around speaking English, expecting everyone to just understand us. We would, if we wanted to really get anywhere in France, we probably should learn a bit of French. And it might be good to learn a bit of the geography of France and some, some French streets, maybe how they do things, maybe different you know, idiosyncrasies of France. But if we're going to learn about these people, we, it makes sense that we learn kind of, it's a little bit different than us, and that's okay, because the world does not in fact center around us, which we're continually trying to remind ourselves of as 21st century Americans. But here in the story, I want to ask you, what's so interesting? What's so bad about Babel? You know, it says they want to make a name for themselves. What does that mean? You know, in ancient times, to make a name for yourself, the name just meant reputation. And oftentimes, names were given from superiors to inferiors, right? I give you a name. I name you this. That's why in the Bible a lot, you know, when the kids actually show different qualities, like maybe the kid jumps a lot. They go, I named him Jumper because he jumped so much. You know, and you're like, oh, that makes sense. And so, but there's, to give a name usually comes from a superior to an inferior, but the Babylonians said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And by the way, we're going to do it with this new technology, um, with the brick that we've made, that we've found, that we've set up, and we're going to go make this all. We're going to go find security. We're going to build this, not just a tower. It says we're going to build ourselves a city, right? We're going to build ourselves a city. Why does anyone build a city? Security? Pop, uh, reputation? And so they're going to go after this and do this with all their heart, and it made me think, man, what's so bad about Babel? You know, in 2008, we had a global economic crisis in, in the world. It was uh, the closest thing we've had to the, uh, to the crash in 1929. And uh, we became very aware, I think, of, of how similar maybe we are to this now to, to Babylon, even back then. You know, in 2008, the acting CFO of Freddie Mac, the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Association, hanged himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and leading families, he had lost, lost $1.4 billion of his clients' money in the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. <clears throat> he uh, slit his wrists 
and died in his Madison Avenue office. When a Bear Stearns executive learned he would not be hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, he took a drug overdose and leapt from the 29th floor of his office building. You know, what, what was going on? All these people in 2008 killing themselves when they found out about the, the crash, the housing market, the housing bubble. And all, it's interesting. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between sorrow and despair. You know, when, we're, when you have sorrow, in fact, even the Bible says godly sorrow. When you have sorrow, you're, you're sad, but you have something else to console you. When you're in despair, you've lost your ultimate thing and nothing else can console you. you the, the thing that's most fundamental to your happiness. So it's not just sadness. Sorrow is somewhat common. The question I want to ask us this morning is about our despair. Do you feel despondent? Do you feel in despair? Because that only happens when we lose something in our lives that's become so important to us for our happiness, for our security, for our comfort. When we lose that, uh, we, we, we can't handle it. You know, there's a famous story of actually a Frenchman, Alexis de Tocqueville, who came to America in the 1830s. And he notes a lot of interesting things about Americans. And he, one of the things he says is that there's a strange melancholy, a strange despair that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. You know, Americans thought prosperity would satisfy their thirst for happiness. They found only despair. And we have this thing in America where we think, man, if we can just, we have, and it's, it's, our, it's our society. It's capitalism. It's a fairly effective mode of economy. But what happens is we think, if I could just get the next thing, the next, if I could just find this happiness. And these men who had built their entire lives around money, around reputation, around prestige, when they lost it, it was hours before they hanged themselves, slit their wrists, jumped off buildings. I mean, instantly. Well, because it had become their idol. And we can think, well, we're not like Babylon Drew. Like, look, it looks so different, right? But this is us. We have our idols as well. We go, we go worship at the shrine uh, of ACAC, right? To, we pay tribute to the physical appearance God, right? Or if we're, you know, we, we pay, we, we do, we give a tenth of all of our time, maybe more than a tenth, to the God of Instagram, to the, to, to, to the God of Facebook, to body image, to appearance, to dieting, to parenthood, to we, we do it as well. We, we're going to leave here and go. We're going to go. And think about how you usually explain how your week went. When someone asks you, how's your week going? What do you usually say? You usually talk about what, you, like, what entertainment you did, are you engaged in, or how you spent money. Oh, we went out to eat. We watched this movie on Netflix. Like everything that's in us is about these idols, these things that give to us. And then we get bigger things. We get bigger TVs. We get, big, we get more uh, sports to play for ourselves or our kids. We get better academics, more expensive academics. All these idols are everywhere. What do we do? We're walking around like Babylon. with ziggurats everywhere trying to reach to the skies, trying to find security, trying to find happiness, trying to find comfort. And this is uh, not so different, I think, than Babylon back then. You know, we have our own idols. You know, idols are an interesting thing. Idols can be very obvious, like an addiction, like a pornography addiction or a drug addiction, opioid addiction. So uh, some kind of addiction can be obvious. But I don't think that's, like some of us for sure, and, and I've been there personally, but for a lot of us, that might not be the idols that we actually find that, that take over our hearts. And the reality is, is that our hearts are idol factories. And uh, <coughs> Ezekiel, Ezekiel says this. 
in 14.3. Ezekiel 14.3 says, they have set up idols in their hearts. So it's not like, oh, I go home and I have a bronze idol I've made um, of the, the Instagram logo, you know, and I just bow to it. No, that's not what's happening, but you, you've set up an idol of Instagram in your heart. You've set up an idol of that boyfriend in your heart. You've set up an idol of money. And I think for, an, I think for those of us in the room who are maybe parents or maybe from, uh, you know, before 1995, before, I, mean, I think old, like older folks, seasoned folks, I think we can tend to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say weak, oh, I'm pretty seasoned. Uh, <laughs> I think we can tend to focus on, uh, we can get anxious about money. We can get anxious about security. We can do a lot based on money. We can do a lot based on our family. I think for young people, it's different. There's a, there's a new thing now. It's a really, a really big thing where kids or uh, students even, uh, high school and campus, don't care as much about making money. They care about fulfillment. They care about self-expression. They want to serve. They want to go, and it's a good thing. I mean, it's not a bad thing. They want to go work for the Peace Corps. They want to they do something that fulfills them. They want to go go stump or they want to go on this campaign for this politician who's going to help bring good to a lot of people. But for a lot of young people, the idols of this world are individual freedom, self-discovery. It's all in the name of self. I just got to find out who I am. Who am I? I'm going to go do this because I want to express myself, right? For an artist, an idol could be, I just want to express myself. How much evil is done in the name of expressing yourself? For a businessman, it's all about the bottom line. It's about profit. How much evil is done in the name of a good bottom line? We all have idols, whether we're a young artist or an older businessman or, or vice versa. There's some traditional ones, too, that even can pop up, like, like kids. Yeah. Kids are a great thing, and our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts take good things, and we turn them into idols. Yeah, right. Kids are a beautiful, amazing gift from God, but we can turn them into an idol. They go in our heart. Oh, that's not what I wanted to do at all. Suspense. Aaron Stevens, everybody. Thank you, Aaron. Take you out for dinner. We take, a, uh, we take an idol. We take a good thing, actually, and we turn it into an idol. All right? It comes out looking all different. Uh, oh, now I get it. Um, we take something good. We take a, an office job, and we turn it into an idol. It's the... And it's the only thing, and even now you might be thinking, yeah, I get it. I know there's idols out there. I know that we struggle with all these things, but I really feel like I got a handle on this kind of stuff. I mean, I feel like I'm here, right? I mean, I'm, I'm going after God and I'm doing my best. And often we, we see the worst kind of idols in other people and not in ourselves. But we, we, we all have uh, hearts that, that turn things into, into idols, as Ezekiel says. Um, now think about the people at Babel. What was their motivation? Do you remember? I think they say it, uh, yeah, they say it there in verse four. <laughs> What's their motivation? Come, let's build a city because we're bored. No, come, let's build a city because if we don't, we could be scattered. Well, they're afraid. They're fearful. If they don't build themselves their own security, they could be scattered. They could be leaderless. They could be vulnerable. They could be hurt. So they decide, we know what we're going to do is we're going to take human ingenuity. We're going to take progress. I remember studying the Bible with this guy at Virginia Tech one time and he was, you know, he was just like, we don't need God. We're doing so much tech, you know, in the technological field. We're making so many advancements. You know, we don't need God anymore, you know? Uh, and I was, I was just, it was amazing, his perspective. And we talked a lot about, I shared a lot about just how much we don't know. <laughs> like, you think we know a lot? Like, are you kidding? We talked about it. But I remember thinking, man, his, his idol is human progress. His idol is technology. We're just going to be able to figure it out. 
And that's what Babylon, that's what the Babylonians were doing is they had a city full of idols, but they thought, man, you know what? We're going to be able to do, we can, we're afraid, we're fearful, but we're going to build ourselves a tower. We're going to build ourselves a city that's going to protect us. It's going to bring us comfort. It's going to bring us reputation. It's going to deliver. That's what all idols promise anyway, right? Oh, man, if I could move, finally move out of my parents' house and express myself, right? If I could finally get that job, but working all this time to be a singer, if I could get that job on Broadway, if I could, if I could finally have a kid, we could, we could have a kid, if we could, we do all these things, oh, then, I'll, then I'll be enough. And the idol just continues, and you need more. And it's like any addiction. You need more and more and more for a less and less and less of a result. And then you wind up one day behind the wheel of your red Jaguar. And people go, I thought he was wealthy. I thought he was good. I thought he was happy. I thought she had everything she wanted. I thought she, she looked so happy on Facebook. I don't know. She seemed fine. Right? In reality, there comes a time when we are utterly in despair because it did not deliver. It couldn't. It never could. And for them, it was this new technology, the brick. But the Bible talks about idols being something that we trust in or we obey or we love. And if you're curious, it's, okay, what are my idols? I don't know, Drew. Help me figure that out. An idol is just something that you put your trust in. If we took it away, if your boyfriend did not call this week, would you be in utter despair? If your job, and I appreciate the Martin sharing about, man, like, oh, my, I got, we got let go out of nowhere. I think it's encouraging that he, Tom shared that and was such... I mean, he seems fine. Like, I thought he was like, they fired me. I got, I got to go. You know, he's out of here. Like, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't get any sense of panic or it's all over or we can't make it to Charlottesville to, to help you because I just got let go. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah, let me go. Don't worry. Let's pray. You know, it's just like, wow, he's got this peace. That's something else. It's not about the job. That's a hard, hard, hard thing. But where do we put our trust? Where do we put our love? And a couple questions to figure out what are these idols for us? Look at your most unyielding emotions. What does that mean? Something, an emotion that's the strongest for you. It will not abate. It will not let go. What makes you the angriest, the quickest? What gets you the angriest, the quickest? Could be an idol. Well, I just get so mad when my parents, I get so mad when my kids, I get so angry when... And we can't be consoled. We're just, we're off the deep end. Here comes Hurricane, whatever our name is. Because hap- something happened to go wrong here. The kids are not, the, the kids are not doing well, so I know they're not going to be doing well. The, you know, it, it's endless, but what gets you despondent the quickest? What gets you saddest the quickest? These are our idols. These things that we take in our, in our hearts and we nurture and we protect and we love and we build our life around them. We all, we're all worshiping something. Everyone out there who says they don't believe in God is still evangelizing. They're trying to convert you to the religion of the Democratic ticket, 2020. They're trying to convert you to the, the religion of the Republican ticket, 2020. They're trying to convert you to the religion of self-expression, the religion of uh, a service, the religion of human progress, the religion of education. If we all just could be educated, everything would be fine. That's going to save us. Everyone's trying to share their faith about something or someone. Everyone's doing it, right? Everyone's got an idol, these things we protect. But it's really hard to see an idol. Let's take you, for instance. That's you, if you're a female. If you're a male, just, I don't know. It's you with longer hair. 
Let's zoom into the heart. We can't see at first glance. You know, we've got to get in there. We've got to get into the heart. We've got to close up. We've got to open up the chest cavity. No, I'm just kidding. We've got to spiritually, right? We have this idol factor to get close. So what do we do? What's the first response? How do we figure it out? How do we deal with this? Well, a lot of people will say, well, here's what we've got to do. We've got to... That's Babylon. Sorry about that. I was going to say, we've got this Babylon in our heart. But the first thing we've got to do is go to the Bible, right? Go to Scripture. Drew, I have an idol. Okay, go read about it. Go find a, find a scripture. Now, that's a good thing. But there's a problem with that plan of action. There's a big problem with that plan of action. And the problem is, Psalm 36 says, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their own sin. The problem is, is that we flatter ourselves too much to, eat, to detect or hate you ever tried to help someone see their sin, but they don't even see it themselves and they don't hate it? They, yeah, we all mess up. Right? I mean, I've been there. People have told me a lot about my sin over the, you know, I think people that are close to us. But how can we know our idols if there's this huge roadblock of pride in the way? Pride is the number one vice, the number one sin. C.S. Lewis, Lewis calls it the great vice, the great sin. It is by far the most destructive sin out there and in here and in our world today. Because you can't fight, you can't punch what you can't see. And pride stops us from seeing it. Pride stops us to stop. Pride is stopping you right now from seeing it. Pride is stopping me from seeing it. You know, I, pride is a, is, a, is a nasty thing. Pride made Satan Satan. Pride is a horrible thing. We can't even detect or hate our own sins. So what do we do? What we do is we give up. We lower the standard of Christianity. We kind of, we kind of just become little, really superficial friends, hypocrites. Let's pretend we have it all together, but really deep down, just all have idols and just meet up here every Sunday for the rest of our lives. That's a bummer. I don't, I don't think anybody, I didn't hear any, yeah, you know, I didn't hear any cheers on that one. Yeah, that's what I came for. That's not what any of us want or crave or desire, right? So we need, we need as a secret. There's something that'll help. So let's, let's rewind. Let's try it again. We have the idol factory. We have the Bible. This time what we need is we need other people to come help. And we need other people to be able to be there for us. Now, we're not going to need other people so that we can depend fully on them. Now, we, we, we will depend on them, but not fully. Notice the people are not going to replace the factory. But the people help get that. They help give you glasses so you can see. Hold on. Do you, come on, sister. Do you even see it? She's pulling down to her nose there. She's like, all right, I can see it. Help her, help her see, but not to replace it with people, but replace it with the Bible. Get the scriptures. Hey, sister, here's the new strategy. No, hey, sister, here's what the Bible says. Hey, brother, have you gone to the Bible? That's all we're trying to do all the time. Pretty much 99% of what we do is Hey, do you want to be in a Bible study? Do you want to get into a discipling group? Do you want to come to a prayer night? Do you want to have time together, dinner together? It's just trying to help each other be aware of potential ways that Satan's going to take us out and to be able to see that the idols are the biggest way. And it's the most effective way because it's sneaky. Someone came in today like, man, I just cheated on my wife. I think we'd all be like, that one's pretty obvious. But someone's saying, I just really love my kids. Who could blame me for loving my kids? That's a hard one, right? They go, sure, yeah, don't, don't come to church. Yeah, put your kids first. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, you should put your spouse first. Yeah, don't come to, oh, your job? Oh, you're in the military? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, put that first. Yeah, that's important. 
Duty, freedom, honor. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, I mean, those are harder ones, right? Because they're good. They're good things. We've turned them into idols. We've turned them into the great thing, the greatest thing. But we gotta, it doesn't mean we have to turn a blind eye to it. It means we've got to be able to look at it with hearts that are soft. We've got to have each other to be able to help each other see, brother, this is what I see. It seems like your son's baseball is more important to you than putting God first. Sister, it seems like having the house all straight, all clean, everything perfect all the time is more important to you than having a quiet time. Hey, sister, it seems like your, your career is dominating every aspect. And that's a great career. You help a lot of people. But hey, brother, it seems like, you know, your, your whole, you know, so just it's these conversations. But here's the thing. We've got to bring each other back to that Bible, back to the scripture. Okay. And as we close out, what's this really all about? How can we help each other? Um, I love this one. Psalm 62. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. You know, let's choose to build with rock and not brick. Let's not look to some Worldly self-reliance. Self-reliance will kill us. Even now, you might be thinking, I got there's all this stuff I got to go do. Don't so you're feeling that, you're, you, have a, you have an idol in there and you're being self-reliant. Go get help. Go look at people. Go, get, go, go to the scriptures. But find, it doesn't, say, it doesn't say find the answer. It says find rest. It's not performance. It's not find your performance goal to be, no, find rest. That's what they wanted, lest we be scattered. What if, we don't, if we don't build the city, we're not going to be comfortable. We're not going to be free. We're not going to be able to live the life. We're not going to be fulfilled or have self-expression. Or He is my rock. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. You know, I couldn't put the whole scripture up there, but I want to I encourage you to read it later. Yeah. As the psalmist says later in that uh, verse, he says, he says, he is my rock. He is my salvation. Please pour out your, your heart to him. I love that. Pour out your heart to him. Go to him. That's how we begin to make him our Lord. Pour out your heart to him. Whether with alone, but most of the time that's with other people. It's communal. It's, let's, let's, let's just, let us go together to pour out our heart to God. So I want to encourage you. Don't, don't go to brick. Go to rock. How about this one? Philippians 2.9. You know, they said they wanted to make a name for themselves. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We don't need a superior. We are the superior. We're going to make a reputation for ourselves. Well, Philippians 2 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. How beautiful is that? We have people in Babel who say, We're going to, we're going to heighten ourselves. We're going to increase ourselves. We're going to be stronger. We're going to win. We're going to be superior. We're going to make a name by being stronger and more prideful and more independent and more self-reliant. God says, don't follow that name. Follow this one. The one that did not heighten himself, but lowered himself. The one that didn't say, I'll make a name for myself, but rather allowed God to give a name to him. That even Jesus submitted himself to God and allowed God to give him a name. That's the way. That's the way to do it is humility. 
not to try to find a name for ourselves, but to allow God to give us our name and not our name of, wow, I found out who I really am. I mean, it's, it's, we have individual expression, but my name, the only name that matters for me is Jesus. If people see anything good in me, it's probably Jesus. It's Jesus. And lastly, Acts 2.5, you know, why did God confuse them with the language? Does God not want us to be unified? You know, I didn't, t- I didn't talk with Larry about this beforehand. This was the spirit on this one. But yeah, it's interesting because they're unified. They're building the tower together. A part of me is like, why is God hating on their unity? They're together. They're working hard to build something. Good on them. Look how industrious they are and effective with their technology. But unity only matters if it's unity in the right direction. They're unified heading toward pride. And that is destructive. When people are unified, when they're together, helping each other sin, when they've created sin packs in a marriage. Hey, hon, don't tell anyone. Hey, don't tell anyone. We have a sin pact. Friends, let's be worldly together. Our church friends won't know about how we really are at school. We won't tell anyone. Right? When we're unified, it's devastating. It's just all the more effective taking us away from God. So what's so wrong about Babel is it's, it's apart from God. It's away from God. It's not in God. And God never meant for us to be scattered. Sure, he wanted us to go to the ends of the earth, but to help people. And he says in Acts 2, a lot of people call Acts 2 the reversal of Babel. Now, there were, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. Amen, every nation. Under heaven. When they heard a sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because everyone heard their own language being spoken. You know, there, it was everyone being unified. They, they could understand. They go, aren't these men from Galilee? How come we can hear them in Persian and Moroccan and Arabic? How come we can hear all that? Well, because they were all hearing it in their own language. But what was the content of the message? about Jesus. And it was about being unified in the right direction. It was about working together to be humble, working together to not make names for ourselves, but let God give us a name. And it's all because God knows that that idol that you nurture right now will not fulfill. It's not because he's up there selfish or wants you to have. God knows that you, any of us could be the man behind the the wheel of the red jaguar. Any of us could be on the ledge of a building thinking it's done. My marriage is over. What do I have left? It's done. This, I lost my job. I, I was discharged. I, my friends are, you, you name it. I got a bad grade on a test. I'm done. Any of us could be that. And God cares about you so much. He's willing to say, I'm going to knock down all those pride towers you're building until you get the picture. Come on. It ain't going to fly. It's not going to work because God wants you to see There's only one name that can provide, that can fulfill. If you are in Jesus, your highs, your highest of highs and your lowest of lows will be negated. Like those things in the world won't affect you. Sure, you'll get laid off, but you know what? I have Jesus. Yeah, my marriage is hard right now and it's nuts and I have no idea what to do with my kids, but praise God for Jesus because he endured the cross, scorning a shame. But we always have that rock. I want to encourage us today, church, what's your idol? And what do you trust? And what do you obey? And what do you love? And go to God to pour out your heart. Tell him about it. Talk to him about it. Because the very next verse in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, 
says that, and God gave a name to Abraham. God has a plan. It's not our plan to do it by ourselves, but God was always going to work through a family, through a man named Abraham, through all of his mistakes. If we simply wait and see, if we simply trust that it'll come through family, love, it'll come through the spirit, it'll all be okay. We're going to sing in Christ alone to close out this morning. Amen and to God be the glory.